from VinePair's New York City headquarters, I'm Adam Teeter. And in Seattle, Washington, I'm Zach Jabal. And this is the VinePair podcast. And uh, Zach, before we roll into today's topic, which is, you know, all about the seasonality of cocktails, what else is going on? Well, you know, one thing, Adam, it's nice to have you back in studio or at least in the offices. Uh, it was it was know, fun to do a little, uh, a little like... Uh, uh, <laughs> recording from home, but uh, but it, it, I gotta say, you sound a little better. No, no, uh, no offense to your warmer. Yeah, you it's sound warmer. you sound more like a person not at the end of a tunnel, which is always nice. <laughs> well, that's good. You know, after this last podcast, we got a ton of emails in. Oh, actually, yeah. uh, someone didn't like that I dropped the f bomb, but you know, I appreciate you listening. Uh, but. I gotta be me. Yeah, I will say my wife pointed out after listening to the last podcast, she's like, you guys said fuck an awful lot in that podcast. And I was like, well, you know, we were passionate. Sometimes sometimes our conversations are very, I think, you know, we're they're very professional and we're pretty we're pretty, you know, sort of nuanced and restrained, and sometimes we get pissed off and uh, you know, we're talking about things that, that are designed to kind of uh to elicit that response yeah there's gonna be a little cursing i think that's i think that's, I think that's the point right i think that's the point so you know i think it's really funny um <laughs> this is just like total off topic but i'm curious what you think about this so today i had lunch with this uh young italian wine producer um his name is matthias he's a really really cool guy he uh he runs a really amazing winery in uh and freely, but he uh, was chatting with me and we were talking, you know, about he makes like some skin t- contact uh, orange wines. He makes, um, you know, stuff with Pinot Grigio, really cool stuff. Um, and we were chatting about just like the whole natural wine movement. And he's like, you know, talking about how much he hates it and how he thinks it's like so bullshit. And especially he's like, you know, the worst thing about your country when I come here, you know, your, I go to your natural wine bars and you talk to me like, I don't know about natural wine. I don't know about orange wine. That is what I make. <laughs> you know, just, yeah. and he's like, these people have never made wine in there. But then he said a really hot take that I'm curious what you think. So we're talking about coffee. Mm-hmm. And he was telling me about how, you know, he's very particular about how his coffee is made. So he always wants a double espresso ristretto. So basically a double espresso short because that's when it's the most concentrated. And so I said, well, what do you think about third wave coffee? You know, like do you like places like Blue Bottom whatever? He goes, you know what? Third wave coffee is the natural wine of coffee. <laughs> and I thought it was like so hilarious. I was like, what do you mean? He's like, it's just bad. Yeah. Like, but I don't, I don't know, because I kind of think third wave coffee is good. So then it just turned my whole world upside down. Well, I think the problem, well, okay. So setting aside for a fact that like, I am not necessarily a coffee expert in the way that I would consider myself (laughs) a wine or spirits or even potentially beer expert. But what I will say is one of the challenges when you talk about something like third wave coffee is that there's so many different distinct approaches to it. You know, you have so many different roasters. And I'll, I'll give an example that that's local here in, in the Pacific Northwest. So uh, one of the earlier third wave roasteries in this area, Cafe Vita, um, has a style that like, you know, their, defin- their style was defined to some extent in contrast to Starbucks, understandably, which is a thing for a lot of third wave coffee places, but especially here in Seattle. So it's a lighter-ish style roast, but it's not super light. It's not blonde. And then there's also Stumptown, which is based down in Portland. And their their style is like, we are going super light, really floral, acidic. And totally honestly, like, it's not my preferred style most of the time. And now Stumptown does a few different roast levels at this point, as does Cafe Vita. You know, all these places have realized that you can't really have just one flavor profile if you want to succeed because people are going to want to try different things. And I think that's right. cool with, I think that's cool with third wave coffee. But, but like, my big thing is like, I like coffee. I don't 
even totally mind sort of the pricing that's gotten a little out of hand. But my thing is just like, for me personally, you know, I feel about coffee probably the way you feel about tea, which is like, I just, it's just, I can't, I like coffee. I drink a lot of coffee, but like I make a pot of like, you know, I grind beans and brew a pot of Folgers. coffee at home. Most, no, it's a Folgers. God. You hit that Folgers hard. You hit that Folgers hard. Uh, well, just, well, that doesn't even need to be brewed, man. That's just a line on the table at the beginning of the day. Um, <laughs> you got to get those flavor crystals somehow. Um, but yeah, yeah. The, uh, you know, it's, it's, to me, it's more just about like, I like the flavor broadly, but I don't like think about it too much and and like i think it's great that people do i can certainly understand that someone might be like whoa but you care about those things and other beverages but you know like i guess i like my downers more than my uppers i don't know maybe that's the point of this podcast i don't know i mean like it's, i like coffee a lot but his hot take which i thought was interesting was like coffee was always supposed to be i mean first of all like let's be clear italians always seem to do everything better than everyone else so i think there's a little bit of uh, uh you know just ego there where he's like you know well i mean the Italians have always perfected coffee. What are you doing, Americans and European, you know, English and Australians? I really think, you know, New Zealand, Australia, England, mostly London and, and the US are like sort of the champions of this third wave of coffee. Mm-hmm. You know, these ideas of these single origin, you know, pour over method coffees. And but his argument was that, you know, they the Italians over you know, centuries perfected that coffee is supposed to be balanced. So you balance the bitter flavors with the, you know, with the malted flavors and the the, the higher, the hotter roasts and things like that. So you get a, a coffee that's consistently, you know, as he said, smooth and enjoyable. And it's not just all bitter lemon. And he said that, you know, his belief is that these single origin coffees, that's what you, you it's so much acid mm-hmm. that it actually makes the coffee um, not pleasurable to drink. Yeah. In the same way that he feels like a lot of natural wines, there's just so much of one flavor, whether that's a fault or not, whether that's just a super, you know, that's acidity that's out of balance, whatever, is, uh, you know, makes the wine non-pleasurable. And so, you know, for him, it was all about balance. And I think that's interesting because while I totally agree with him that a lot of natural wines I've had are not balanced – I actually have always thought that a lot of the coffees I've had are balanced and now he's making me rethink everything. So I don't know – don't know where i am with my life right now man yeah well i mean that's a good question uh for both of us to contemplate i wanted to mention one other non sequitur before uh before we jump into the topic which is i just you know not to be too uh self-congratulatory but i checked out the site redesign for vine pair uh which launched what uh just the other day and uh it looks just great, the other man. day yeah it's uh it awesome it's 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 always hard it's funny because i'm sure you have guys have gotten feedback of all stripes and there's the certain sub subset of an audience that no matter what the redesign looks like will claim to hate it. Um, but I, I think it's, uh, yeah, it's nice. And it's, and what I love about it, and again, not to get too down far down this rabbit hole is, um, uh, I think it brings sort of the visual element more to the fore, which I, which I dig. You guys always Thanks, you know, bring some, some great, um, both, you know, photography and artwork, uh, to bear on a story. And it's, it's easier to jump into that right away. So, Nice work. Kudos, so Vine Pair yeah. team. Um, and, yeah, uh, uh, you know, our, our designer, Danielle, did a kick-ass job. It's a, it, looks, it looks really amazing. So thank you so much. Uh, and I hope everyone else who listens to the podcast and also is a Vine Pair reader is enjoying it as well. So, yeah, today, I mean, we said we're going to chat about sort of the seasonality of cocktails. And this idea came to me sort of just, you know, when I was traveling recently um, – and I ordered a Negroni at a hotel bar and the bartender told me, you know, isn't that more of a summer cocktail? I started thinking about like this idea of, you know, seasonality, especially when it comes to cocktails and whether or not there's an appropriate time to drink something or not. 
Um, and how do we get there in the first place? I understand, right? The easy answer is like, well, you know, we got there because it's a lot easier to market drinks as being seasonal. <laughs> and so therefore, you know, it's easier on all of the marketers out there because they just know, okay, well, it's, you know, starting to be close to, you know, mid-April. I should start pushing margaritas. We're getting close to Cinco de Mayo and then I'll just push margaritas through the summer. But is, you know, is that bad for our drinking culture? Uh, you know, is it wrong that I had a Negroni instead of perhaps a Boulevardier? Well, if I know you, you probably had both, but uh... <laughs> yeah, I had them together. I had them mix them. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, what I would say is like one of the great things about spirits and about cocktails is that, in a way that is, I think, not so true for most other forms of beverage alcohol, they can exist outside of seasonality. I mean, the beauty of distilled spirit is that you can use it to capture flavors and. And, you know, aromas and things like that. I mean, I think specifically in, in infused spirits like gin and whatnot, where you can have that beverage any time of the year and it can and it can evoke a sense of a different season. I mean, you know, we we all love the, you know, the the beverage that takes us to a different place or a different time. And whether that's, you know, drinking a, a tiki cocktail because you want to feel like you're in, you know, some warm tropical locale or whether, you know, maybe it's. 100 degrees in the middle of July and but you damn it you want your you want your bourbon um neat or something like we we use these beverages and cocktails I think in spirits more than any other to sort of change our not just um perception through alcohol but like our our sense of place and time and so I think like it is a disservice to drinkers to tell them well, you can only have that cocktail for a two-month window or, like, you can only have a mint julep on the Kentucky Derby. Like, if you like a mint julep, man, you should drink that every day. It's probably not the best thing in the world for you, but, hey, go for it. I don't know. Are you kind of a psycho, though? Like, is that, like, a marker of someone that's just, like, you know, like, if you – how would you would, – wouldn't you judge someone if they – like, if just, you know, let's say it's a super hot day out, right? You know what I'm going to say already. I'm sure you do. Sure. Let's say it's a super hot day out and you go to the bar and you see some guy or gal order a hot toddy. Won't you think that person may or may not shoot up the bar afterwards? Like, it doesn't, isn't that just a mark of someone that may be unbalanced? Um, I mean, maybe they have a cold, Adam. I don't know. I, I was going to say that. Then you, should, you definitely shouldn't be out. Don't infect me with your shit. Okay? <laughs> Keep your germs at home. I was going to say that, like, I mean, I judge people for everything they drink, and and the seasonality of it isn't really necessarily the forefront of my mind. And and I actually think, in some ways, <laughs> you're just judgmental person. Yeah, of course. I mean, that's how I got this gig. Let's be clear. I'm not on here to. Oh I'm my not god, here to, hot take. Like, yeah, I'm not here for my like milk toast opinions on things. I'm do you here, think I'm like when you to, take the stop? When you take the SOM exam, do they have to ask you like, "Are you judgmental?" And if you say yes, you definitely pass. <laughs> uh, you're you you know it's unfortunately you not a part of it. I you know I, I wish I wish there well I, I, it might be more accurate if there was a uh, a part of it where they where they assess your ability to be snobby. But uh, that's another <laughs> that's another podcast or a previous podcast or a little bit of both. In any case, uh, you know I think what is important to be aware of is I think there are. There are real constraints on some cocktails some of the year in some of the country. Like, for all I just said about how, like, hey, you know, get a mint julep whenever you want, you know, mint can be pretty fucking disgusting in the middle of winter in Seattle. Like, I've seen what That's comes true. in what comes in, in our deliveries, and it ain't pretty. Um, you know, you've got to pick through three brown leaves to find one good, reasonable-looking green one. Same thing with citrus. Like, this is a huge thing for me and a thing that, that I feel really strongly about, which is, like, in my cocktail world, which is, like— we cannot get good quality citrus in Seattle basically 
the entire year, especially things like lemons and limes. I mean, the limes you get really? are such garbage. Oh, they're terrible. I mean, you can't, they just, they don't grow anywhere near here. They have to be picked so early. And, you know, because they're a commodity item in a lot of ways, they just sit in someone's refrigerator, you know, giant refrigerator for one of the, you know, one of the big um, sort of food distribution companies. You know, we're not getting artisanal limes grown, you know, in in Seattle. Like, it's just, we're a thousand miles away from where any of them grow. So it just is, it's a reality where, yeah, they're better in certain times of the year. You know, you get nicer looking limes. Sometimes they're actually pretty palatable. And then when you travel to Southern California or, or you know, Mexico or wherever, and you get like actual fresh limes, you're like, oh shit, this is actually what it's supposed to taste like. So, you know, so is I'm that why, like, everyone who works at Amazon maybe has scurvy? <laughs> like, do you guys just, like, not I think that's have... the sunlight guys... deprivation, but sure. I, yeah, I mean, I feel like what you just did is you just told everyone in America to never move to Seattle, and you just gave another point to why New York's the greatest city in the world. But, I mean, uh... you're not getting any better limes, man. I've done lots of drinking in New York, let me tell you. <laughs> Florida's a but long yeah. ways away, too. God, that's true. But no, I mean, I guess it makes sense. So you're not having if if it, if the citrus isn't great at any time of the year, then when do you really drink the citrus drinks? I guess whenever the hell you feel like it. Yeah, and you just accept that, like you know, there are certain things that you know you're not going to get at their absolute peak, uh, maybe more than a, sl- a tiny slice of the year. And that's not to say that you know you can't work around that as a bar. And and I think good bars and and creative bartenders do find ways to work around that, whether that's you know altering recipes or you know just being really diligent. I mean, some of it is just a matter of like, hey, if that lime looks like shit, don't juice it or don't use it as a garnish like you maybe have to chuck it and again you know this comes back to our our discussion about cocktail pricing from a few episodes ago but like some of that stuff goes into it too like you know if you get a if you get a case of limes and you can only use two-thirds of them because the other third of them might as well just be some you know rocks that someone's spray painting green like you're just fucked and you got to pass that cost along to your guests unfortunately no one likes doing it but it's you got to stay in business too so I, I think there's a there's a seasonality like a realistic concern for some parts of the country maybe it's less of an issue in southern california than it is in the pacific northwest but the other part of this is and i do think this is one area where i do a little bit empathize with the people who are like you should think about seasonality in your drinks is that there is at the same time something nice about that harmony between your environment and i don't mean necessarily in like a holistic uh you know green new deal sense i just mean like the place you are in the time and all that and what you're drinking and you know you and i can both expound upon the glories of that beverage whatever it is but let's say a cocktail for the sake of this podcast that perfectly matches with the weather and sometimes that is a hot toddy for some of us in the winter and sometimes it's a negroni in the summer or you know even something like as simple as a daiquiri in the middle of summer, and uh, and that is a that is a joy that you you can enjoy the cocktail anytime, and I do, but it's not ever quite as great as when it's at the peak of the season. Okay, that makes sense. That makes sense. I just I don't know. Then what about these drinks that are all spirits and and spirits only? So, for example, a Negroni, right? I mean, okay, fine, you could put and you should put a twist of lemon or or orange in the negroni but i have to do the same thing for a boulevardier so what makes the negroni more of a summer drink than a winter drink is it is it just because you know is it just because we're using a white spirit as a gin and you can't even call it a base because it's a, it's equal parts you know gin or bourbon and then you know, Campari, and as you know, it is bourbon, Zach, uh, and then Campari, and then sweet vermouth, right? So what is it that makes that kind of a drink 
a summer drink? What is it that makes – is it just because it's it's light spirit? Are we that basic as a society that we think light spirits are summer and dark spirits are winter? Then why aren't we drinking dark rum in the winter? Because I see a ton of people only drinking rum at all in the summer. Well, first of all, we are that basic, sadly. Um, and I will also say that, like, yeah, I think 90% of it dials, boils down to, like, you know, this this misguided belief that clear spirits are summery or spring and summer and dark spirits are only appropriate in the winter. And, you know, like, do you necessarily see me drinking as much single malt in the height of summer as you would in the winter? Probably not. But I don't think that's because you can't have those things. I mean, for one thing, in most of the places in the most of the places in the country, one of the delights of, say, summer is that it's hot in the day, but maybe not, you know, painfully hot at night. Um, although I've had some unpleasant nights in New York, I can tell you. Um, and uh, then there's always air conditioning, I guess, if you need. Um, and so I think there's 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 you know we have this ability to kind of move between these spirits at our own um, pace and and whenever we do want. I also think you know the other thing about this is, and I get, this is going to sound silly. Well, maybe not. You'll you'll understand. Again, in the modern way that these drinks are presented and marketed, a lot of it has to do with what is it going to look like when someone takes a picture of it, right? And clear right. spirits, Graham. yeah, clear spirits produce light, clear cocktails. You know, it's the same reason why, like, you would not you would not expect to see someone's Instagram feed full of you know. Um, dark, you know, sort of brownish cocktails in the middle of summer. That's just not a color, a, a palette we associate. Right, with or like a stout beer or something. Yeah. yeah, and like, I mean, my like, I'll tell you personally, psycho or not, and she is not, I want to be clear about this, um, honey, I know you're listening. Um, my wife loves dark beer year round, and so she'll drink a porter or a stout in the middle of summer if she feels like a beer. And yeah, does right. that get her weird looks? And is it sometimes frustrating to her that she can't find one of those on tap if we go to a, to a bar? Sure. But, you know, she also recognizes, I think, that, like, that's a little bit of an unusual taste to have in the middle of the summer and accepts that, you know, if she wants dark beer, we're probably just going to have to go buy some at the store. But at the same time, you know, it's the same reason why you're not going to go into a cocktail bar in, you know, in the middle of winter and see a lot of, you know, light citrus heavy cocktails on the menu. Not just because the citrus is probably shit, but also because, like, people don't want to drink it. And whether they've been convinced they don't want to drink it because of marketing and because clear spirits are for summer and dark spirits are for winter, I can't tell you because I haven't been drinking that long. But I, I do think it is it is part instinct and a lot of people just wanting to be told what to do. I mean, it's the same reason why people still believe that you can only have white wine with fish and red wine with meat. It's like some inherited wisdom that gin is for the summer and whiskey is for the winter. And if you don't do that, then I don't know, you're crazy or, uh, or, you know, um, psycho. Yeah. Something. I mean, uh, you know, I, I, look, <laughs> I don't know where the, I, uh, where it comes from. I want to be clear. No one, the only people that are psychos are people who don't say that they see sheep when they see sheep. If you're in the car with someone and you're driving by sheep and they don't point out and say sheep, that person's a psycho. But besides that, I think you should be able to drink whatever you want whenever you want. You know, and I don't think there's anything wrong with it, but I understand the reasons we're we are trapped as a society um in terms of feeling like there needs to be some sort of guidelines. Because I think as humans, you're right, we need guidelines, right? We feel like we no one as much we're like, oh, I drink, you know, especially certain people, I drink outside the lines. Most people <laughs> drink inside most people drink inside the lines, right? All the people that are 
you know, all obsessed with certain trends right now, whether it's milkshake, I, milkshake IPAs or natural wine or, you know, <clears throat> Negronis that t- seem to see no sign of stopping. We're all in some, you know, form or fashion sheep. None of us are unique, right? None of us are doing something that's so different. We might think it's different, but it's actually not. We're actually following trends. We're actually basic bitches, right? Like that's just what we're all doing. We're all basically falling in line and saying, oh, everyone else thinks it's cool, so it must be cool. We're not taking a stand, which is, you know, why I'm trying to take a stand against natural wine. Yeah. But I think in the same regard, that's why we wind up drinking with seasons. That's why we wind up thinking that there's, you know, there's a right and a wrong time to drink certain drinks. But, you know, I think based on our conversation today, they're really, you should really feel empowered to drink whatever the hell you want, whenever you want to drink it. Right. If you, absolutely, if you like Manhattans in the summer, drink Manhattans in the summer. Don't let anyone tell you that a Manhattan is a winter drink or, you know, a Sazerac for that matter, even though, you know, hopefully at least you had a Sazerac yesterday. But then again, why am I saying you should have had a Sazerac yesterday? Just because it's, it's, you know, it was Mardi Gras, you know, we're recording this on Ash Wednesday, but uh, just drink whatever you want, whenever you want to drink it. Yeah, that's it. I mean, that's that could probably be one of the mottos of the podcast. Let's be clear. Although we might have put in parentheses, except natural wine. But um, and to be honest, there's sometimes that I like I natural wine. It's just I know, I know. But it's it's apparently our it's our, apparently our our uh, our scapegoat for for all eternity, at least until we. Come you know up what? Natural wine is natural wine is my scapegoat for something else I want to talk about down the road, which is that it's my scapegoat for getting rid of this ridiculous hipster cool kid ego in the wine business i'm sick of it it's gotta fucking go we're gonna do a whole episode about it another time i want to bring keith on to talk about it because he's really passionate about it but this like i'm too cool for school until you criticize me ego or until you don't even criticize me but you point out an inconsistency in my positions yeah bernie bro attitude in wine has got to go all right, it's well, that's, we'll save that one for go. closer to the election, maybe. I don't know. I, can't wait I want, I want to make to one last. On. I want to make one last point though about about seasonality and cocktails, which is, I will say, one of the one of the bright spots of late to me is that I think your experience, notwithstanding, perhaps, I do think you're seeing more and more bars that are open to the idea that people do want to drink whatever they want to drink year round. I mean, I think again, you know, we talked tiki a while back with Brian, and that's a great example of a of a place where. You know, the rise of tiki bars is an illustration that people want those sorts of flavors year round. You know, no one, they're not pop ups, they're not one month runs at some other bar anymore. Now they're independent, you know, year round entities. And, and there's obviously an audience for them. And, and I think, you know, we are seeing that people want to be able to go get, you know, whatever the, the cocktail or, or spirit of their preference is. I mean, again, you see this a lot with, with the rise in um, bars that focus on agave spirits. Again, something that has previously been sort of relegated to a specific part of the calendar and not necessarily considered a year-round spirit or or kind of cocktail. And, and I think that's really great. And I think in most cities, you can find a few bars that do really um, either, you know, kind of offer those drinks year-round or are confident enough in their bartending ability to make you whatever drink it is you want whenever you want. Because let's be honest, if someone's like, oh, I can't make you that because it's not the right season, unless the drink is like, I don't know, based on some very, very specific fresh ingredient that they can't get and like what how many cocktails is that then they're just full of shit and they either someone forgot to order in the ingredient this week and they're trying to cover for it or um they're not a very good bartender and either case is kind of a sad state of affairs for their bar very true very true well hopefully this empowers everyone to to not listen to lazy marketers 
which <laughs> I think we all are guilty of, even those of us that uh, are in the editorial world and write about things based in the seasons as well. I really just feel empowered to drink what you want when when you want to drink it. Um, what, what do you think, Zach? You think that's, that's probably accurate? I think so. And and I would say, you know, the other part about this is, you know, the you're right that marketing drives some of this. Um, but, you know, again, some of it is driven by, unfortunately, a sort of um, ethos of like, we will tell you what to drink. And that comes obviously from marketers, but it does come from, unfortunately, um, some publications and some... Um, oh, we know which ones are. Uh, some yeah, some sort of notaries in the field who who have a vested interest in driving you to have a drinking calendar that you move through over the course of the year. And if you enjoy doing that, that's your that's great. I mean, if you want to if you want to update your personal cocktail profile every month because like you want to be drinking what seems the most appropriate for the given month, or you get bored of something quickly, like great, that's awesome. There's a ton of resources out there for you. But most people I know, and I think probably most people you know, Adam, have like six cocktails they like, and they don't want to have to you know decide which of them is most seasonal to uh, conform to some other person's idea of of what the right cocktail to drink is. I say, you know, drink your cocktails year round, and even if Adam is sitting at the bar. Order that hot toddy and then give him a really strange look. <laughs> exactly. Just be the weird person you want to see in the world. <laughs> I, I agree with that. All right. Well, with that, man, I think we've kind of beat this subject to death. Uh, but I'm, I think I'm going to go get a Negroni. That's a good call, man. You're year round. Um, is it still like super me. snowy there? Dude, it's so cold here. I can't even handle it. <laughs> I'm wearing. Well, it's raining. It's today. raining in Seattle. So hate to break it to all of you folks, but we are. I'm just living up to the stereotypes. No, man. It, you just I just like you. Close the episode with another reason why no one should ever live there ever. Yes, please stay you away. Know, you can see why Bezos wanted to have an HQ too, but we we chased him out of New York. So see ya, buddy. Yeah, we're gonna have another. We're gonna get so deep into the political weeds here, real quick. Uh, let's, let's wrap this up. Let's wrap this up ASAP. All right, man. Well, I want to thank all of our listeners for uh, listening again this week. And uh, if you have any thoughts about the show, shoot us an email at podcast at vinepair dot com. If you have any topics you'd like us to discuss, we'd love to hear your thoughts. And we will see you back here again next week. Sounds great. Thanks for listening to Vine Pair. We'd love to hear what you think. Feel free to drop us a line at podcast at vinepair.com. And if you really love the show, we'd love if you rate it and leave us a review on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Reviews and ratings really help other people discover the show. Now for the credits. Vinepair is recorded in New York City at Vinepair headquarters and in Seattle, Washington at Cloud Studios. Our engineer is Nick Patry, and the show is produced by Zach Jawal and me. Our show logo was designed by Daniel Gridberg. Special thanks as well to the entire Vinepair staff, including but not limited to my co-founder, Josh Mallon, and our editor-in-chief, Emily Saladino. Thanks so much for listening, and see you next week.